the BBC presents Jet Morgan in Journey into Space. Landing on Mars had been accomplished. Two ships had touched down safely, and the South Polar Base, from which the exploration of the Red Planet was to be made, had been established. Jet, together with Mitch, Lemmy, and myself, had already reached the northern limits of the Great Ice Cap when freighter number two, coming down from free orbit with a second load of supplies, crashed some 60 miles north of where the land fleet was camped. Jet at once set out to find the ship. When it was reached, it was discovered that its crew was missing. Impressions in the soft, damp ground indicated that an as-yet-unidentified machine had visited the ship. I know what this is. It's the light. The light, yes, or whatever was carrying the light. It must have come here to investigate the ship after it had crashed. Maybe it even caused it to crash. Hey, What else could it be? You, you mean some machine or other's been here, be messing around with our ship? Possibly. And those footprints must have been made by somebody or something coming out of it. Exactly. And what about our crew? What's happened to our crew? Well, it's pretty certain that they, or their bodies, if they were dead, have been taken from our ship and transferred into something else. But where have they been taken to? Who took them? Well, that's what I intend to find out. That light. The last time we saw it, it was moving directly west from here. Yes, and pretty fast, too. Very well, gentlemen. The exploration route has been changed. From now on, we travel westwards. You mean you're going after that thing? Yes, Lemmy. We'll leave Frank to look over this ship and check up on the salvage possibilities. And what if we don't find anything? Then we'll come back and continue our journey towards the equator as originally planned. Now, wait a minute. You haven't time to wait even a second. Now, come on. Let's get back to the trucks, call up Frank, and get on our way. Yes, sir. Well, how far have we come now? Twenty-five miles. Except for the fact that number two is now behind us, you wouldn't know we'd moved at all. Did you ever see such a dull, monotonous landscape? If you got lost out here, you'd never find your way home. Look at the way the ground stretches on and on. Not a change in it. Clear from here to the horizon. Not quite, Lemmy. How do you mean? See there. Just on the horizon. To the northwest. A pink tinge. Oh, yeah. Well, what's that, then? Uh, one of the bright patches. Either the southernmost tip of the region called Noarchis or the southeastern tip of Argier. Go on. Are they marshy regions like this lot? I doubt it. Probably as dry as the Sahara. The ground here is damp because until a few weeks ago it was ice-covered. That ice has now become moisture. Except at night when it turns to ice again. Look, Jet Boy, I know it's none of my business. And I'm here to obey orders the same as the rest of us. Well, Lemmy? Do you honestly think there's any chance of us finding that ship or whatever it is? Very little, Remy. It'll probably find us first. Yeah, well, that's... Eh? Whatever kind of machine it is, it flies. And at a very high speed, too. It must do, to cover the distance it did when we saw its light moving across the plane last night. Well, then, what's the idea, then? I mean, compared with that thing, we're like a... Well, like a car trying to overtake an aeroplane. By nightfall, Lemmy, we'll have covered about 200 miles. Well? And be 200 miles nearer the place from which that light came. So? Perhaps tonight it will return to the ship along the same course, in which case we should see it. And then? We'll have an even clearer idea of where it comes from. And tomorrow we set out in that direction until we come to its base. But that might be anywhere. And what if it sees us? Lemmy, 
Whatever it is, it took four of our men with it yesterday. We've got to try to get them back. Who knows what might be happening to them? And who knows what will happen if that thing does see us and decides to come down and investigate us? I almost hope it does. Hey. So far as is known, Lemmy, the highest form of life that Mars can support is vegetable life. The... You mean the men that fly in that ship are a bunch of carrots? Vegetable men? No, Lemmy. And it's my belief they're not Martians either. Then who are they? You remember the time travellers, Lemmy? On the moon? Will I ever forget them? At first we thought they were moon men. That they lived on it, but they didn't. Hey, you don't think that that ship belongs to the time travellers, do you? Ah, I wish it did. I'd have no fear then for the safety of Evans and his crew. No. No, Lemmy, the, the impressions left by that craft were not those of a time traveller's machine. The point I'm trying to make is that whoever flies that ship is a visitor to this planet, as we are. In which case, they must have a base established somewhere, and I hope the strange machine with the light will lead us to it. And how are we going to approach it without being detected? And once we are detected, how do we know a human turnip isn't going to carry us off like they must have carried off Evans and his lot? We don't know. But so long as Evans, his navigator, and the two freighter men are missing, it's up to us to try to find them. But doesn't that mean walking straight into trouble? We don't know what these flat-footed cabbages can do. It might mean the end of us all. It might be safer to keep out of their way, not let them know we're even here. Oh, it's a little late for that. They already know we're here. That orange light Mitch and I saw the first day we landed. The noise we heard that caused me to black out. The fact that after freighter number two had crashed, a flying ship of some kind made its way directly to it. All these things show that somebody or, or something on this planet is fully aware of our presence here. We're bound to meet them face to face before very long. And so far as I'm concerned, the sooner the better. Then at least we'll know what we're up against. Oh, well, I'll say this for you, Jet Boy. You've got guts. But it's tough on us weaker types who have to string along with you. Hello, Landfleet. Roger's calling. Oh, that's Frank. Hello, Frank. Barney, dear. Hello, Lemmy. This is to report that we've now topped the hill and are about to descend down the other side. Good show, mate. Did you have much trouble getting up? Yes, we did. I had to unhook the caravan and drag it up in three parts. We can see number two from up here, through the glasses, at any rate. Uh, let me talk to him, will you, Lemmy? Yes, mate. There you are. Go ahead. Uh, hello, Frank. Oh, hello, Jet. When you get to number two, start looking her over straight away. And give me a report on the chances of salvaging her cargo and getting it back to Polar Base. Yes, sir. You can enter her by the cargo hatch. The airlock into the cruise quarters is jammed, so you won't get in that way. Right. We left the ladder extended so you wouldn't have our trouble getting up. We also closed the airlock between the cargo hold and cruise quarters and left the air supply to build up, so you can spend the night in there if you wish. Oh, thank you, sir. Power supply to most of the ships still works, and so does the main transmitter and receiver. So you'll be able to keep in touch with us and the main fleet still in free orbit. Right. Keep in regular radio contact. And Frank, yes, Jet. Wherever you decide to spend the night, be sure to be inside with all hatches tightly closed at least an hour before sunset, and make no attempt to leave the ship or your trucks between then and sunrise, no matter what happens. Roger. Now keep a permanent watch throughout the night. If you have any visitors, call us immediately. You're darn right, I will. And hide your lights, Frank. Seal the door leading into the pilot's cabin if you're in there, and keep watch with the aid of the televiewer. Yes, sir. Now, our position at the moment is longitude 11 degrees, 34 minutes approximately, latitude minus 53 degrees, 22 minutes. We're heading directly westwards along the latitudinal line. Uh, call again as soon as you reach the ship, Frank, and good luck to you. Thank you, Gibber. And if you ask me, you'll be needing it. Yes, Major Jet here. 
getting dark. How much longer before we stop? Oh, I was hoping to make the edge of the desert before we called it a day. You'll never do it. Not before sunset, anyway. Oh, all right, Mitch. I'll halt. Bring your train up alongside. Okay. Well, there's that, I suppose, Lemmy. We'll stop here for the night. Oh, don't let it upset you, mate. We've done more than 200 miles. That's not bad going. Oh, I'd have liked to have made the desert before nightfall. The desert? And what have we been travelling across all day, then? Hampstead Eve? Apparently, the only difference between this desert and the pink one ahead is that one is damp and the other is dry. To have got at least as far as the edge of it would have made me feel some progress had been made. Towards what? We can't even be sure any more than that ship even came from that direction. He might have changed course long before he come this far. I doubt it, Lemmy. I feel sure that wherever he came from, it was somewhere either in the desert or the far side of it. And how wide is that desert? Always assuming we can cross it. Oh, four to five hundred miles. Then it's not likely we'll even cross it tomorrow, is it? Now, why don't you stop worrying, Jet? We can't do more than we're doing already. I'll tell you what, boy, I'll go back into living quarters and make you a nice cup of tea. Oh, thanks, Lemmy. And while you're doing it, I'll call up Frank, see how he's getting on. And that's more like it, mate. Here. How about something to eat and all? Not a bite has passed your lips all day. Oh, lovely, Lemmy. Whatever you say. Hello, Jet. Doc calling. Hello, Doc. Look, if you care to get some sleep, I'll take over the watch. Oh, thanks, Doc, but my two hours is hardly up, is it? Well, there's only a few minutes to go. Well, how about it? Did you see anything? No, not a thing. But it's less than four hours since sunset. Uh-huh. There's still plenty of the night left for something to happen. That's as still and lonely as a tomb out there. Any word from Frank? He decided to spend the night in the ship, as I suggested. And he and Grimshaw have kept a constant watch, but have seen nothing either. Mm. Well, get some sleep, Jet. I'll give you a call if I see anything. When Mitch takes the watch, I'll get him to do the same. Okay, Doc, thank you. I'll move back into the sleeping quarters. I'll leave the radio on, and if you call, I'll hear you. And check with Frank every half hour, will you? Okay. Hello, Jet. Hello. Now, wake up. Wake up, do you hear? It's arrived. Hmm? Oh, hello, Mitch. What's that? The light. It's here. To the northwest of it and approaching fast. Thanks, Mitch. I'll get out of the driving cabin right away. Hey, Lemmy. Hmm? Uh, Lemmy. What's up? The light. It's here. Follow me out into the cabin as soon as I pass through the airlock. Yes, Mike. Hello, Mitch. I'm in the driving cabin now. Where's the light? Where is it? To the northwest. Coming across the Argyre Desert. Almost directly towards us. Yes, I see it. How fast is it approaching? Well, it was only a pinpoint when I called you. Ah, look at the size of it now. It must pass overhead almost any second. It is overhead. I couldn't have seen us. What if it did? It chose to ignore us. Where is it, Jet? Where is it? Just past over our heads, Lemmy. Climb onto the Astrodome and you'll see it. If it stays on that course, it won't be going anywhere near freighter number two. But it ain't staying on that course. Hey? Look at it. Sweeping round. It's either changing its line of flight or... Or it's coming back. Take your head out that dome, Lemmy. Let me have a look. Yes, Jeff. No, it's not coming back. It's definitely heading for the ship. Call up Frank, Lemmy. Warn him. Right. Hello, Frank. Lemmy here. Hello, Lemmy. Roger speaking. Look, we don't want to put the wind up, you chum, but that light we told you about... Well? It's just passed over us, and it looks as if it's heading for number two again. Oh, it is. Yes, mate. You keep a lookout for it, and if you hear anybody knocking on the door, you pretend you're out. Don't worry, Lemmy. We're sealed up tighter than sardines in a tin, and there's no way of opening the cargo hatch from outside. We've broken the remote control circuit. Good for you, mate. Did they see you? Oh, we don't see how they could have missed us. They passed right over us, but it didn't even hesitate. How high was it flying? Oh, we couldn't say for sure. About 10,000 feet, maybe. It's completely gone now. It must be traveling at a cracking pace. Apparently, Frank, it's passed out of sight now. In your direction. Okay, if it comes this way, I'll let you know the minute I sight it. Thanks, mate. And don't go doing nothing hasty.
Murphy. Roger's calling. Yes, Frank. Barney, dear. We can see it. It's coming straight at us. Oh, blimey. Oh, let me talk to him. Let me. And hook up Doc and Mitch. Let them hear this. Right. Hello, Frank. Yes, Jet. Where are you keeping lookout? From the pilot's window? No, Jet, through the televiewer. Have you a clear view all round? No, Jet. The tilt of the ship doesn't allow it, but we've got a clear view forward and almost 90 degrees either side. Where is the light now? Directly in front of us. Height about 45 degrees. It seems to have stopped now. It's just poised up there above the ground. Just hanging there, you mean? Not moving? No, Jet. It's as though it has some anti-gravity device. Now it's descending very gently. It's almost down. Now it's touched the deck and the light's gone out. Can you see a ship of any kind? Not really, Jet. It's so dark out there. There's hardly enough light to activate the camera. All we can see is a dark, almost shapeless patch where the light was. The image might become clearer as your eyes get used to the dark. Have you got the lights on in the cabin? Yes, Jim. Then put them out, Frank. But they can't be seen from outside, sir. I realize that, Frank, but the darker the cabin, the better your chance of seeing things on the televiewer. Oh, yes, sir. We'll put them out. Will you hold on a minute? Yeah. Right, Jet. We're blacked out. Televiewer any better? Stars are visible and the black patch is still there. You can't make out any details. No, sir, but maybe it'll get clearer later when our eyes are adapted to the darkness. All right, Frank. We'll keep listening. Give me a call the moment you've anything to report. Yes, sir. I wouldn't like to be in Frank's shoes right now. Not with that thing sitting on his doorstep. No, Lemmy. I wish it was sitting outside here instead. Hello, Mitch. Doc? Yes, yes. Mitch here. Did you hear all that? Uh, too right. Well, what's that thing up to? Do you think it realizes Frank and Grimshaw are in there? I don't know. But why did it put its light out? That's a point. Hello, Jet. Frank calling. Uh, yes, Frank? Things are happening. The patch is definitely circular. That thing out there must be globular in shape like a ball. And that's not all. Oh? A pale green oval-shaped light has appeared in the underpart of it. Some kind of door? Well, possibly. It's probably a circular door, too, but looks oval because of the position from which we see it. It's foreshortened. Uh, anything else? Not at present, Jet. Then keep calm, Frank, and give me a full commentary on everything you see. Yes, sir. Oh, blimey. What do they look like? Oh, it's difficult to tell. All we can see are faint shadows. The green light is so pale, like luminous paint. It's only because parts of it are being obscured occasionally that I know anything is moving there at all. There's one, two, three shadows passed across it, apparently towards the ground. Now listen, Frank. Yes, sir. They must be going to approach the ship. Almost certainly they're not aware that you're even in there. They probably expect to find the cargo flaps still down as they left them yesterday. Oh, Surprise coming, aren't they, sir? Unless they've something like superhuman powers, they can't possibly get inside, so just sit tight and wait. Yes, yes. So what else can he do? Oh, Frank, where did you leave your land trucks? About half a mile away to the east. The globular craft is directly in front of us to the west. Well, let's hope they don't see them. What if they drive them off? Grimshaw and I'll be stranded here. Oh, what's that? What the... Uh, what is it, Frank? There's a clicking coming from the control board. Sounds like relays of some kind. Are you working or breaking any of the circuits? Jet, neither of us have moved. We're just sitting here watching the screen. There it goes again. Can we put the control board lights on, Skipper, to see what's happening? Yes, Frank, if you must. All right, Bill, switch them on. That's it. They're on now. Well? It's the remote control relays from the cargo flaps. Somebody outside is pressing the switch. But they can't get in, can they? I hope not, sir. The switch won't open the doors. That's for certain. I broke the circuit. Well, they stopped now. I must have given it up. Well, now what will they do? Uh, that remains to be seen. Poor old Frank. I bet right now he wishes he'd stayed at home, or at least up in free orbit with the rest of the fleet. He must be scared stiff. Mm, if he is, he's not the one to show it. Hello, Jet. Uh, yes, Frank? Look, Steve, it's so dark outside, it's impossible for the televiewer to show a bright picture. Well? 
But if I went into the pilot's cabin and looked through the window with my own eyes, I might see much more. May I have permission, sir? Very well, Frank, but be careful. Switch off the televiewer and the control board lights before you go in, in case they should be seen when you open the pilot's cabin door. Yes, sir. Televiewer off. And now the control lights. I'll put Bill on the transmitter and get him to hook me up to the pilot's intercom so I can still talk to you. Okay, Frank. And be careful, boy. Don't let him see you. Oh, I'm too much in love with myself not to be lemmy. Don't you worry. I'm about to enter the pilot's cabin. Okay, Bill. Open her up. Contact! Well, let's hope them Martians or whatever they are don't hear that door opening. Well, if they do, they must have ears like a cat. Maybe cat's ears is just what they have got. I'm in the pilot's cabin now, Skipper. Can you see any better? Yes, a little. The green light is an opening into that sphere. How big is it? Can you tell? Oh, not without exactly knowing how far away she is. At a rough guess, I'd say between 20 and 30 feet in diameter. But I can't make out any details. It's too dark for that. Does the opening allow you to see inside the thing? Hardly, Jed. It's too low. And the... What is it? It's crude. I, I can just see them. Vague shapes. They, they just passed under the port wing and are heading back to the sphere. Frank, what do they look like? How big are they? Well, it's difficult to tell. They're all bunched up together and their silhouettes seem to mingle. If only there was a little more light. Keep watching them, Frank. When they reach the door, they should show up clearly against it. Yes, I'll keep watching that. But they can't be too far from it now. And for goodness sake, don't let them see you. Hello, Skipper Grimshaw calling. Yes, Bill? I've shaded the televiewer from the door. It couldn't possibly be seen through it now. Can I switch it on? Maybe with two of us watching that thing, we'll have a better... Yes, switch it on. If they're heading for their ship, Jed, they haven't reached it yet. It must be a lot further away than I thought. And you still see them? No, Skipper. They've been completely swallowed up by the darkness. Oh, wait a minute. They've reached it now. I can see them. They stand out as clearly as... One's about to climb back in. Oh, I... Uh, Frank. Uh, Frank, what's happened? It's all right, Skipper. The light. The big one. It came on again. I threw myself to the floor. Did they see you? I don't know. Uh, how about you, Bill? Can you see them? No, Skipper, the light's far too bright, shining straight into the camera. It's completely ruined the picture. Oh, blimey, now we'll never know what they look like. But I saw them, Skipper, for a split second, I saw them. What were they like, Frank? What did they look like? Are they vegetable men? No, Lemmy. Then how did they look? Like you and me, Jess. Just normal human beings. <laughs> Frank, are you sure? You were straining your eyes to see anything. They could have played your tricks. I'd take my life on it, Jack. When the big light came on, it showed them up so clearly I couldn't have made a mistake. But Grimshaw didn't see them. How could he? The light shone straight into the camera. The picture was too distorted for him to recognize anything. Did you see the ship take off again? No, Jack. While the light was on, I thought it best to lie low. A couple of minutes later, she was gone. The last I saw of it was a diminishing light in the sky. Yeah, it passed over us about ten minutes later, heading northwest across the Argier Desert, the direction from which it came. Frank... Yes, Doc. How were those men dressed? It's difficult to say exactly. I got the impression they wore one-piece suits, tight-fitting like our crew suits. Did they wear helmets? I hardly had time to notice. Oh, they must have, Doc. How else could they breathe? Hmm. And how did they keep warm out there in that bitter cold? I can't answer that one, Doc. All right, Frank, we've grilled you long enough. You better take it easy now. Get some sleep. I expect you need it. It seems hardly worth it. Dawn will be breaking soon. 
I want to get some of the cargo out of this ship and transfer it up to base. No, Frank, get some rest first. You can start back with the first load this afternoon. What, and leave the ship unprotected? Well, you can't stay in there forever, Frank. Nobody can. We haven't the men to spare. Base is in urgent need of some of the supplies in that ship. They've got to have them. But how about the big stuff, Skipper? We need more than two men to handle that. We'll leave it there until you get back. Where from? Frank, we must have at least two more men down here on the surface. I want you to return to the main fleet in free orbit in number one. Bring down MacDonald and Hammond. When you've touched down again, I'll give you further orders about salvaging the rest of the gear from the wreck. Very good, sir. Now, turn in, Frank. It's unlikely you'll be disturbed again. Whoever was in that ship seems to prefer to wander around at night. Uh, give me a call when you wake up. Yes, sir. Signing off. Couldn't we go back and give him a hand yet? Well, we could, Mitch, but we've other things to do. As soon as it's light, we're getting underway again. We're going to cross that desert. The odd here? Yes, Mitch. We head northwest as soon as the sun's up. <laughs> first rays of the morning sun had hardly lightened the sky when our two caravans once more set out on their journey. We traveled steadily in a straight line towards where the light of the strange ship had disappeared over the horizon the night before. Three hours and sixty miles later, the soft, damp, purple soil of the Mare Australis began to give way to the sandy pink of the Argia Desert. By noon, the Mare had been left behind. Now the two trains of vehicles plowed through the soft sand, each trailing a miniature dust storm behind it. For the first time since landing on the planet, the sun's rays shining through the windows of the driving cabins were hot enough to allow us to travel through the day without the need of the heaters to keep us warm. The desert scene was unbelievably beautiful. The sand, pink, and unlike the flat plain of the Mare Australis, gently undulating. Slowly, as the day wore on, the copper-colored sun made its way across the mauve northern sky. At noon, we rested, refreshed ourselves, and stretched our legs by walking ankle-deep in the sand. By then, we were well into the desert, surrounded on every side by low pink hills, with not the tiniest living plant to relieve the monotonous, if colorful, scene. In our first day across the great desert, we covered nearly 250 miles. Then, under a canopy of the blackest sky, studded by the brightest of multicolored stars, we settled down to sleep. We kept a constant watch, but no sign of the mysterious ship was seen. Hello, Landfleet. Freda number one calling. Hi, Frank. Mitch here. Sorry to disturb you. Well, that's all right, Frank. I wasn't asleep. My turn for watch. I'm up with the space fleet now. We made the journey up here without incident. <laughs> Wacko. Uh, when do you return to Polar Base again? Oh, in 24 hours or so, as soon as the ship's loaded. Well, don't leave anything behind, Frank. I doubt if we can spare any fuel for any other trips upstairs. Not until we leave here for good, anyway. I could just about make one more trip if we had to, Mitch. Well, we'll make it only if we have to. And uh, bring her down safely, Frank. If your ship cracks up, there's only the discovery left to get us off this planet. I will, Mitch. Don't worry. Well, that's all for now. I'll call you again when we're ready to make the descent. Right. Well, then, I hope we've crossed this desert, and I won't be sorry. No sign of that ship again. No, Frank. Not a flicker. 
Next morning, we were off again, hoping to make the far side of the desert before nightfall. Jack didn't allow us to let up for a moment. While one man drove the truck, his companion navigated, and in between times, scanned the horizon with powerful binoculars in the hope of sighting the strange sphere or some sign that would lead us to its base. But there was none. Nothing but the pink sand stretching endlessly. Then, less than two hours before sunset... Hey, Doc! Doc, what, what, what's happening? I don't know, Mitch. The motor seems to be giving out. Oh, treat it gently, Doc. You're pushing it too hard. Well, how else do we keep up with Jet and Lemmy? They're already at least a mile or more ahead of us. Oh, we've been traveling too fast for too long. Hasn't Jet got any feeling for the insides of these tractors? Hello, Jet. Yes, Mitch? Oh, can you slow the pace down a bit? Our motor's heating up. Oh? Ours isn't giving any trouble. Oh, well, this is. We ought to stop. Let it cool off. All right, then. We'll halt here for a while. Hey, come up alongside, will you? Right. Hey, Mitch, the output meter, it's dropped to half of what it should be. Are you giving her a full power? Yes. Now stop her, Doc. Stop her right here. Okay. Hello, Jeff. Yes, Mitch? There's something definitely wrong with the murder. We'll have to stop and find out what the trouble is, or we may ruin her completely. Oh. You sure she won't be all right for an hour or so? That's about all we need to cover the full distance. That'll about take us across this desert. No, Jeff, she's not moving another inch until I've had a look at her. Oh, very well, Mitch, if you say so. Look... Do you mind if Lemmy and I continue? At least as far as the top of the next rise. I want to see what's on the other side. Jet, don't go out of sight. We've got to stick together. I won't be out of your sight. We'll stop at the top. You'll still be able to see us. It's not more than two miles away. Well, I guess that far won't hurt, so long as you don't go down the other side. If the sand stretches still further, I'll come back and join you. All right, but you'd better be back here before it gets dark. Oh, I will. Don't you worry. All right, Lemmy, start her up. Head up the rise and stop when you get to the top. Yes, Mike. Motor on. Well, this is about the highest hill we've met on this desert. And it rises pretty sharpish and all. Well, we're nearly there, Annie. Get ready to stop. All right, hold it. This is far enough. Well, was it worth it? Pink desert and more pink desert. And another rise bang in front of this one. Uh-huh. And did you notice anything about it? No. What? Towards the top, it changes color from pink to brown. Oh, yes. I come to mention it, it does. I'd like to look on the other side. But to do that means dipping down out of sight of Doc and Mitch. We just told them we wouldn't do that. They'd start getting worried. Oh, it wouldn't take a couple of minutes to get over there and back. I could almost walk it in the time. Yeah, that's what I'll do. What, leave the cabin? Why not? I'll go over there, satisfy my curiosity, and then come straight back. But, Jet, it's less than an hour to sunset. Supposing you break your leg or something, what happens then? I promise not to get out of your sight, Lenny. Whatever's on the other side of that ridge, I'll just take a look at it, and that's all. Well, if you must, you must. But why can't you wait until the morning? I don't know, Lemmy. I have a strange feeling that I must see the other side. And if I don't, it'll keep me awake all night wondering about it. I don't like the sound of that. Pass me my helmet, Lemmy. When I've got it on, fill the airlock and let me out. Hello, Lemmy. Can you see me? Of course I can. How could I miss you? Good. And here I go. Now, remember, just to the top, boy. And no further. The sun's already low in the sky. Look at the color of it. A deep orange. The sun. A deep orange. You said that once before. How could I until a few minutes ago? It was its normal colour. A long time ago, I mean. Or was it so long ago? Nearly at the top. I've made it. Good heavens. What is it, Jet? What can you see? Lemmy, the other side of this hill leads down into a valley. A great, wide valley. And it's full of plants like... like giant rhubarb. And it stretches from west to east as far as the eye can see. 
rhubarb plants. Any custard trees growing up with them? This must be one of the canals. Then you'd better come on back here before a barge horse comes along and tramples it to death. It must be at least 15 miles wide. Yes, there it is. It's there, exactly as I saw it in my dream. What? What was in your dream? The dream I had when Mitch and I got lost in the fog. When you dreamed about seeing a city, you mean? Yes, Lemmy, and it's here. What? The city? Yes, identical in every detail. You've been listening to episode 12 of Journey into Space with Andrew Folds as Jet Morgan, David Kostoff as Lemmy, Guy Kingsley Pointer as Doc, Bruce Beebe as Mitch, and David Jacobs as Frank. The orchestra was conducted by Van Phillips, who also composed the music. Journey into Space is written by Charles Chilton and produced by him in the London studios of the BBC.